Chapter Eight of Ask Fidel. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Ask Fidel by Mary Elizabeth Braddon. Chapter Eight. God wot that worldly joy is sown ago perfect mistress of her boat daphne revelled in the lonely delight of the river she felt no grief at the loss of mr turchill's company he had been very kind to her he had been altogether devoted and unselfish and the gipsy breakfasts in the old boat-house had been capital fun but these delights would have palled in time while the languid pleasure of drifting quietly down the stream thinking her own thoughts dreaming her own dreams could never know satiety she was so full of thoughts sweet thoughts vague fancies visions of an impossible future dreams which made up half her life what did it matter that this airy fantastic castle she had built for herself was no earthly edifice that she could never live in it or be any nearer it than she was to-day to her the thing existed were it only in dreamland and it was a part of herself and of her life it was of more consequence to her than the commonplace routine of daily existence the dressing and dining and driving and visiting had her life been more varied full of duty or even diversified by the frivolous activity of pleasure she could not have thus given herself up to dreaming but she had few pleasures and no duties madeline held her absolved from every care and every trouble on the ground of her youth she did not like parish work of any kind she hated the idea of visiting the poor so madeline held her excused from that duty as from all others her mind would awaken to the serious side of life when she was older her sister thought she seemed now to belong to the flowers and butterflies and the fair ephemeral things of the garden thus daphne ignored by her father indulged by her sister enjoyed a freedom which is rarely accorded to a girl of seventeen her aunt rhoda looked on and disapproved and hoped piously that she would come to no harm and was surprised at lena's weakness and thought daphne's bright little boat a blot upon the landscape when it came gliding down the river below the rectory windows the parson's rich glebe was conterminous with sir vernon lawford's property and daphne hardly knew where her father's fields ended or where the church fields began edgar turchill degraded from his post of instructor still contrived to spend a considerable portion of his life at south hill if he was not there for lawn tennis in the afternoon with the rector's wife for a fourth he was there in the evening for billiards he fetched and carried for madeline rode over to warwick to get her a new book or to leamington to match a skein of cruel there was no commission too petty for him no office too trivial or lowly so that he might be permitted to spend his time with the sisters daphne thought this devotedness a bad sign and began to fear that the canker was at his heart 
and that he would die for love of madeline when the fortunate gerald came home to claim her you poor creature she said to him one day you foolish moth why flutter round the flame that must destroy you i declare you are getting worse every day you are wrong said edgar i believe i am getting cured what did daphne dream about in those languid summer mornings as her boat moved slowly down the stream in the cool shadow of the willows with only a gentle dip of the skulls now and then to keep her straight her thoughts were all of the past her fancies were all of the future her thoughts were of the nameless stranger who went across the jura last year one little year ago almost at this season her dreams were of meeting him again yet the chances against such a meeting reduced it almost to an impossibility the world is so horribly large she reflected sadly and i told him such atrocious stories it will be a just punishment if i never see him any more yet how am i to live through my life without ever looking on his face again it had gone so far as this it seemed to her almost an absolute need of her soul that they two should meet and know more of each other the ardent sensitive nature had been thus deeply impressed by the first bright and picturesque image presented to the girlish fancy it was something more than love at first sight it was the awakening of a fresh young mind to the passion of love she had changed from a child to a woman in the hour when she met the unknown in the forest who is he what is he where shall i find him she asked herself he is the only man i can ever love he is the only man i will ever marry all other men are low and commonplace beside him the river was the confidant and companion of all her dreams the sweet lonely river flowing serenely between green pastures where the cattle stood in tranquil idleness pastern deep in purple clover she had no other ear into which to whisper her secret she had tried ever so many times to tell madeline and had failed lena was so sensible and would be deeply shocked at such folly how could she tell lena whose wooing had been conducted in the most conventionally correct manner with everybody's consent and approval that she had flung her heart under the feet of a nameless stranger of whom the only one fact she knew was that he was engaged to be married so she kept this one foolish secret locked in her own breast the passion was not deep enough to make her miserable or to spoil the unsophisticated joys of her life perhaps it was rather fancy than passion it was fed and fostered by all her dreams but her life was in no wise unhappy because this love lacked more substantial food than dreaming god had given her that intense delight in nature that love of his beautiful earth for which faustus thanked his creator field streamlet wood and garden were sources of inexhaustible pleasure she loved animals of all kinds the grey jersey cows in the marshy water meadows the house dogs and yard dogs and stable terriers supposed to be tremendous at rats yet never causing any perceptible diminution 
of that prolific race the big white horses at the farm with their coarse plebeian tails tied up into tight knots their manes elaborately plaited and their harness bedizened with much brazen ornamentation madeline's exquisite pair of dark chestnuts thoroughbred to the tips of their delicate ears sir vernon's massive roadster boiler and crock the old carriage horses daphne had an affection for them all they were living things with soft friendly eyes more unvaryingly kind than human eyes and they all seemed to love her she was more at her ease with them than in the dimly lighted flower-scented drawing-room where sir vernon always seemed to look at her as if he wished her away and where her aunt worried her about her want of deportment with lena she was always happy lena's love and gentleness never varied daphne came home after a morning wasted on the river to sit at her sister's feet while she worked or to lie on the sofa while lena read to her glad to get in the thin edge of the educational wedge in the form of an interesting article from one of the quarterlies or a few pages of good poetry daphne was a fervent lover of verse so that it came within the limits of her comprehension her tastes were catholic she worshipped shakespeare she adored byron and shelley and tennyson mrs browning and the simpler poems of robert browning and she had heard vaguely of verses written by a poet called swinburne but this was all she had been permitted to learn of the latest development of the lyric muse byron and tennyson it is needless to say were her especial favourites one makes me feel wicked and the other makes me feel good but i adore them both she said i don't see what you can find in child harold to make you wicked argued madeline who had the old-fashioned idea hereditary of course that byron was the poet of the century oh i can hardly tell you but there is a something a sense of shortcoming in the world generally an idea that life is not worth living that amidst all that is most beautiful and sacred and solemn and interesting upon earth one might just as well be dead one would be better off than walking about a world in which virtue was never rightly rewarded truth and honour and courage or lofty thoughts never fairly understood where everything is at sixes and sevens in short i know i express myself horribly but the feeling is difficult to explain i think what you mean is that byron even at his loftiest and best wrote like a misanthrope i suppose that's it now tennyson though his poetry never lifts me to the skies makes me feel that earth is a good place and heaven better that high thoughts and noble deeds bear their fruit somehow and somewhere that it is better to suffer a good deal and sacrifice one's dearest desires in the cause of duty and right than to snatch some brief joys out of life and perish like the insects that are born and die in a day i'm so glad you can enjoy good poetry dear said madeline delighted at any surcease of frivolity in her young sister enjoy it i revel in it it is my delight pray don't suppose that i dislike books lena only keep away from me 
grammars and geographies and biographies of learned men and voyages to the north pole there is a south pole too isn't there dear though nobody even seems to worry about it and you may read me as many books as you like how condescending of you little one said madeline smiling at the bright young face looking up from the sofa pillow on which daphne's golden head reclined in luxurious restfulness well i will read to you with pleasure it will be my delight to help to carry on your education for though girls learn an immense number of things at school they don't seem to know much when they come away we will read together for a couple of hours a day if you like dear till gerald comes home retorted daphne he will not let you give me two hours of your life every day he will want you all to himself he can join our studies he is a great reader expose my ignorance to a future brother-in-law not for worlds cried daphne let us talk about him lena aren't you delighted to think he is coming home yes i am very glad how do my father and gerald get on together not too well i am sorry to say papa is fonder of edgar than of gerald you know how prejudiced he is about race and high birth i don't think he has ever quite forgiven gerald his father's trade but there is lady geraldine to fall back upon surely she makes amends hardly according to papa's ideas you see the earldom of heronville is only a creation of charles the second's reign and his peerages are not always respectable i believe there were scandals about the first countess her portrait by sir peter lely hangs in the refectory at goring abbey she was a very lovely woman and lady geraldine was rather proud of being thought like her although she was not respectable said daphne and was there really a likeness yes and a marked one i can see it even in gerald who is the image of his mother the same dreamy eyes the same thoughtful mouth but you will be able to judge for yourself when gerald comes home for i have no doubt we shall be going over to the abbey the abbey it is a very old place i suppose no it was built by mr goring why abbey surely that means an old place that was once inhabited by monks it was mr goring's fancy he insisted upon calling his house an abbey it was foolish of course but though he was a very good man i believe he had a slight leaven of obstinacy in his disposition and when once he had made up his mind about anything he was not to be turned from his purpose perverse old creature and is the abbey nice it is as grand and as beautiful a place as money could make it there are cloisters copied from those at muckross and the dining-room has a gothic roof and is called a refectory the situation is positively lovely a richly timbered valley sheltered by green hills and you are to be mistress of this magnificent place oh lena what shall i do when you are married and i am left alone here tete-a-tete with papa how shall i support my life dearest by that time you will have learned to understand your father and you will be quite at your ease with him i think not i am afraid he is one of those mysteries which i shall never fathom my love that is such a foolish notion besides in a year or two my daphne may have a husband in a house of her own perhaps a more interesting place than goring abbey added lena thinking of 
hawk's yard which seemed to her daphne's natural destination june ripened and bloomed and grew daily more beautiful it was peerless weather with just such blue skies and sunny noontides as there had been at fontainebleau last year but without the baking heat and the breathless atmosphere here there were cool winds to lift the rippling hair from daphne's brow and cool grass under her feet she revelled in the summer beauty of the earth she spent almost all her life out of doors on the river in the woods in the garden if she studied it was under the spreading boughs of the low spanish chestnut which made a tent of greenery on the lawn sometimes she carried her drawing-book to some point of vantage on a neighbouring hill and sketched the outline of a wide range of landscape and washed in a sky and began a tree in the foreground and left off in disgust she never finished anything her portfolio was full of beginnings not altogether devoid of talent mouse-coloured cows deep red oxen every kind of tree and rock an old english cottage or rickyard or grey stone village church but nothing finished the stamp of an impetuous impatient temper upon all there had been no definite announcement as to gerald's return he was in sweden seeing wonderful falls and grottoes which he described in his letters to madeline and he was coming back soon perhaps before the end of july he had told the abbey servants to be prepared for him at any time this indefiniteness kept madeline's mind in a somewhat perturbed state yet she had to be outwardly calm and full of thoughtfulness for her father who required constant attention his love for his elder daughter was the one redeeming grace of a selfish nature it was a selfish love for he would have willingly let her waste her life in maiden solitude for the sake of keeping her by his side but it was love and this was something in a man of so stern and unyielding a temper he liked her to be always near him always within call his companion abroad his counsellor at home he consulted her about all the details of his estate and her own rarely wrote a business letter without reading it to her she was wanted in his study continually when he was tired after a morning's business she read the newspapers to him or a heavy political article in blackwood or one of the quarterlies were he inclined to hear it she never shirked a duty or considered her own pleasure she had educated herself to be her father's companion and counted it a privilege to minister to him faultless daughter perfect wife said sir vernon clasping her hand as she sat beside his sofa going is a lucky fellow to get such a prize why should he not have a good wife dear father he is good himself remember what a good son he was to his mother admirable i doubt if he and old goring hit it quite so well i wish he came of a better stock that is a prejudice of yours father it is a prejudice that i have rarely seen belied by experience i wish you had chosen edgar there is a fine fellow for you a lineal descendant of that turchill who was sheriff of warwickshire in the reign of the confessor shakespeare's mother could trace her descent from the same stock so you see that edgar can claim alliance with the greatest poet of all time 
i should never have thought it said madeline laughingly his lineage doesn't show itself in his conversation i like him very much you know papa indeed i may say i love him but it is in a thoroughly sisterly fashion by the by papa don't you think he might make an excellent husband for daphne she faltered with downcast eyes as she went on with her cruel work she would be an uncommonly fortunate girl if she got him retorted sir vernon with a clouding countenance he is too good for her oh father can you speak like that of your own daughter remonstrated lena is a man to shut his eyes to a girl's character because she happens to bear his name asked sir vernon impatiently daphne is a lump of self-indulgent frivolity indeed you are mistaken cried lena she is very sweet-tempered and loving sweet-tempered yes i know the kind of thing winning words pretty looks trivial fascinations a creature whose movements you watch fascinated by her variety as you watch a bird in a cage graceful beautiful false worthless i have some experience of the type father this is the most cruel prejudice what can daphne have ever done to offend you done is she not her mother's daughter don't argue with me about her lena she is here beside my hearth and i must make the best of her god grant she may come to no harm but i am full of fear when i think of her future then you would be glad if edgar were to propose for her and she were to accept him certainly it would be the very best thing that could happen to her i should only feel sorry for him but i don't think a man who once loved you would ever content himself with daphne he is very attentive to her murmured sir vernon languidly it was midsummer day the hottest brightest day there had been yet and daphne had given herself up to unmixed enjoyment of the warmth and light and cloudless blue sky sir vernon and madeline had a luncheon engagement at a house beyond stoneleigh a drive of eleven miles each way so dinner had been postponed from eight to half-past and daphne had the livelong day to herself free to follow her own devices free even from the company of her devoted slave edgar who would have hung upon her like a burr had he been at home but who was spending a few days in london with his mother escorting that somewhat homely matron to picture galleries garden parties and theatres and trying to rub off a year's rural rust by a week's metropolitan friction edgar was away the light park phaeton with the chestnuts had driven off at half-past eleven madeline looking lovely in a madras muslin gown and a bonnet made of roses her father content to loll in the low seat by her side while she managed the somewhat vivacious cobs daphne watched the carriage till it vanished at a curve of the narrow wooded drive and then ran back to the house to plan her own campaign i will have a picnic she said to herself a solitary selfish robinson crusoe-like picnic i will have nobody but tennyson and lena's collie to keep me company goldie and i will go trespassing and find a sly secret corner in charlecote park where we can eat our luncheon i believe it is against the law to stray from the miserable footpath but who cares for law on midsummer day i shall feel myself almost as brave as shakespeare when he went poaching and thank goodness there is no justice shallow to call me to order 
she ran to her own room for a basket a picturesque beehive basket the very one she had carried and he had carried at fontainebleau what a foolish impulse it must have been which made her touch the senseless straw with her lips remembering whose hand had held it then to the housekeeper's room to forage for provisions the wing of a chicken a thick wedge of pound-cake a punnet of strawberries a bottle of lemonade a couple of milk-rolls mrs spicer would have packed these things neatly in white paper but daphne bundled them into the basket anyhow don't trouble you dear good soul they are only for goldie and me she said you may just as well have things nice miss there you have forgot the salt if i wasn't here and if you're going to take that there obstreperous collie you'll want something more substantial give me a slice of beef for him then and a couple more of your delicious rolls asked daphne coaxingly my goldie mustn't be starved and be quick like a love for i'm in an awful hurry nor miss when you've got all the day before you you'll be fearful lonesome what with goldie and the idols of the king exclaimed daphne glancing downwards at her little green cloth volume ah well i know when young ladies have got a nice novel to read they never feel lonesome said mrs spicer filling every available corner of the basket with which daphne stepped off gaily to summon goldie goldie was a bright yellow collie intensely vivacious sharp-nosed brown-eyed a dog that knew not what it was to be quiet a dog you might lose at the other end of the county confident that he would scamper home across wood and hill and valley as straight as the crow's flight he spent half his life tied up in the stable-yard and the other half rushing about the country with daphne he travelled an incalculable number of miles in the course of an ordinary walk and was given to racing cattle he worshipped daphne and held her in some awe on this cattle question would leap into the air with mad delight when she was kind to him or grovel at her feet when she was angry now goldie dear if you and i are to lunch in charlecote park i must take a strap for you said daphne as they started from the stable-yard goldie proclaiming his rapture by clamorous barking it will never do for you to go racing the lucy dear or even the lucy oxen we should get into worse trouble than shakespeare did for shakespeare had not such a frigid father as mine i dare say old john the glover was an easy-going indulgent soul whom his son could treat anyhow it was only a walk of two miles across the fields to charlecote two miles by meadows that are as lovely and as richly timbered as they could have been in shakespeare's time high farming is not yet the rule in warwickshire hedges grow high and wild broad oaks spread their kingly branches above the rich rank grass dock and mallow foxglove fern and dog rose thrive and bloom beside every ditch and many a fair stretch of grass by the roadside a no-man's land of pleasant pasture offers space for the hawker's van or the children's noonday sports or the repose of the tired tramp lying face downwards in a rapture of rest while the skylark trills in the distant blue above him and the rustle of summer leaves soothes his slumber it is a lovely country lovely in its simple pastoral english beauty calm and fitting cradle for a great mind after the fields came a lane a green arcade with a leafy roof through which the sun-rays crept in quivering lines of light and then the gate that opened on the footpath across charlecote park 
yonder showed the grey walls of the house venerable on one side modern on the other and the stone single arched bridge and the lake narrowing to a dull sluggish-looking stream that seemed to flow nowhere in particular the tallest and stoutest of the elms looked too young for shakespeare's time but here and there appeared the ruin of a tree hollow of trunk gaunt of limb whose green branches may once have sheltered the deer he stole the place was very lonely there was nobody to interfere with daphne's pleasure or even to object to the collie who crept meekly to her side held by a strap and casting longing looks at the distant oxen she wandered about in the loneliest bits of the park supremely indifferent to rules and regulations as to where she might go and where she might not till she finally deposited her basket and sunshade under a stalwart oak and sat down at the foot thereof with goldie still strapped and constrained to virtue she fastened one end of the strap to the lowest branch of the tree goldie standing on end licking her hands all the time now dear you are as comfortable as in your own stable-yard you can admire the cows and sheep in the distance standing about so peacefully in the sunshine as if they had never heard of sunstroke but you can't hunt them and now you shall have your dinner it was a very quiet picnic perhaps even a trifle dull though at the worst it might be better to picnic alone among the four-footed beasts in charlecote park than to assume a forced gaiety in a party of stupid people at the conventional banquet of doubtful lobster and tepid champagne in one of the time-honoured haunts of the cockney picnicker daphne thought of midsummer day in the year that was gone as she sat eating her chicken and sipping her lemonade half of which had been lost in the process of uncorking how gay she had been how foolishly unreasonably glad and now a great deal of the flavour had gone out of her life since her seventeenth birthday how happy lena looks now that the time for her lover's return draws near she thought she has something to look forward to some reason for counting the days while to me time is all alike one week just the same as another i am a horribly selfish creature i ought to feel glad of her gladness i ought to rejoice in her joy but nature made me out of poor stuff didn't she golda dear she laid her bright head on the collie's tawny coat the pale gold of her soft flowing hair contrasted and yet harmonized with the ruddy hue of the dog and made a picture fair to look upon but there was no one wandering in charlecote park to paint daphne's portrait she was very lucky in not being discovered by a party of eager americans spectacled waterproofed hyperintelligent and knowing a great deal more about shakespeare's biography than is known to the duller remnant of the anglo-saxon race still extant on this side the atlantic she ate her strawberries in dreamy thoughtfulness and fed goldie to repletion till he stretched himself luxuriously upon her gown and dreamed of a chase he was too lazy to follow had he been ever so free then she shut the empty basket propped herself up against the rugged old trunk and opened the idols it is a book to be read over and over again for ever and ever just one of those rare books of which the soul knows no weariness like shakespeare or goethe's faust or childe harold a book to be opened haphazard anywhere but daphne did not so open the volume 
elaine was her poem of poems and it was elaine she read to-day in that placid shade amidst green pastures and venerable trees under a cloudless sky lancelot was her ideal man faulty but more lovable in his faultiness than even the perfect arthur yet what woman would not wish ay even the guilty one grovelling at his feet to be arthur's wife she read slowly pondering every word for that fair young saxon was to her a very real personage a being whose sorrows gave her absolute pain as she read time had been when she could not read elaine's story without tears but to-day her eyes were dry even to the last when her fancy saw the barge gliding silently down the stream with the fair dead face looking up to the sky and the waxen hands meekly folded above the heart that had broken for love of lancelot i wonder how long his sorrow lasted she thought as she closed the book and then she clasped her hands above the fair head resting against the rugged bark of the oak and gave herself up to day-dreams and let the afternoon wear on as it might in placid enjoyment of the atmosphere and the landscape charlecote church clock had struck five when she plucked herself out of dreamland with an effort unstrapped her dog from the tree took up her empty basket and started on the journey home she had ample leisure for her walk dinner was not to be until half-past eight and sir vernon and his daughter were hardly likely to be back till dinner-time it was a stately feast to which they had been bidden a feast in honour of somebody's coming of age a champagne breakfast for the quality roasted oxen and strong ale for the commonalty speechifying military bands and altogether ponderous entertainment sir vernon had groaned over the inevitable weariness of the affair in advance and had talked of himself as a martyr to neighbourly feeling the homeward walk in the quiet afternoon light was delicious goldie released from his strap directly they left charlecote ran and leaped like a creature possessed oh how he enjoyed himself with the first herd they came to scampering after innocent milch cows and endangering his life by flying at the foreheads of horned oxen daphne let him do as he liked she wandered out of her way a little to follow the windings of her beloved river it was between seven and eight when she dispatched goldie to his stable-yard and went into the cool shady hall where two old orange-trees and great green crockery tubs scented the air the butler met her on her way to the morning-room oh if you please miss daphne mr goring has arrived and would like to see you before you dress for dinner he was so disappointed at finding miss lawford away from home and he would like to have a talk with you daphne looked at the tumbled white gown it was the same she had worn last year at fontainebleau and thought of her tousled hair i am so shamefully untidy she said i think i had better dress first brooks oh don't miss daphne you look nice enough i am sure and i dare say mr goring is impatient to hear all about miss lawford or he wouldn't have asked so particular to see you of course not no perhaps he won't notice my untidiness i'll risk it yet first impressions i don't want him to think me an underbred schoolgirl muttered daphne as she opened the drawing-room door the room was large and full of flowers and objects that broke the view and all the glow and glory of a summer sunset was shining in at the wide west window for a moment or so daphne could see no one 
the room seemed empty of humanity there was the american squirrel revolving in his big airy cage there lay fluff the maltese terrier curled into a silky ball in a corner of the sofa and that seemed all but as daphne went timidly towards the window a figure rose from a low chair a face turned to meet her she lifted her clasped hands to her breast with a startled cry nero papilla End of chapter 8